Welcome back to the High Impact Physician Podcast. On today's episode, Sandy is talking with Dr. Mark Weissman, who's the CMIO at Peninsula Regional Health System in Maryland. In this conversation, Sandy and Mark are talking about the path to becoming a CMIO. They're talking about what the ideal quality scorecard looks like. And Mark gets into some really practical things to do when technology is getting in your way. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. Just so you know, I'm slightly intimidated doing anything technology-oriented with a CMIO. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be, because we're doing this telehealth launch now, and it's it, it, it works sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. So. Oh, gosh. We're all in <laughs> it together. Awesome. Yep. To get started, go ahead and tell us uh, just a bit about you and how you got to where you are. Sure. So I'm a CMIO, and I've been devoted to just making the lives of our practicing clinicians just better, easier, higher quality care can be delivered. And I got there because years ago, I was looking at some reports, seeing the time of day that a primary care physician was closing their charts. And 50% of the time, it was after 8 p.m. And that really bothered me. So I got into how do I help my colleagues work in the EMR better so that their lives could be easier and they wouldn't burn out. So that's how I got to where I am. It just kind of continued from there. It just became a passion. I just I just kept rolling with it and doing more and more things related to technology. And eventually a position opened up uh, at Peninsula Regional and here I am. So I bet that thought of a peer wanting to make working with the EMR smoother was like music to a physician's ears. I don't think I hear that much. So uh, what a gift to have you in this space. The physicians do respond well most of the time. They love that someone is interested in them, paying attention to them, hearing their concerns and trying to fix it. I can't fix the government. I can't fix all the regulatory problems that hit them, but I can try to make the tools they use better. Awesome. So talk to me a little bit about when I think about a CMIO, tell me maybe in just a, a, I don't know, like a tweet or or one or two short sentences. What is it in general that CMIOs are up to these days? CMIOs first are physician leaders. They do change management and they advance the technology of an organization that improves clinical care, makes the work easier and helps the patient engage with, with us. That's what a CMIO does. I love it. Boy, that thought of change management in itself is um, such a big, big piece of work. That's great. So staying with that sort of big picture thinking of a CMIO, talk to us a little bit about if a CMIO had a department or had a division and together they worked on some kind of vision statement about how they want to serve their organizations, what, what might that sound like? With the highest level of customer service, we will make clinicians more comfortable with the technology so they can focus on the patients. That would be our vision statement. Wow. And when I hear about all the frustrations have physicians have about feeling disconnected from their patient, that sounds like a really powerful mission statement. I love it. They do. They want to care for patients and they don't want the technology to be a hindrance. They don't want the technology to be between them and the patient. They want it to assist them with the care. We're not quite there yet all the time. Yeah, even as you're saying that, I'm getting such a visual of when technology can be between a doctor and a patient versus when it's assisting them. That's a great visual I just got when you said that. Let's move a little bit into thinking about the CMIO role, where it started, where it's been, and where it is today. 
The CMIO role came about late 1990s when they started going to electronic entry of physician orders. And the docs were rebelling against this. And there were some very publicly uh, done cases where doctors insisted that the systems get ripped out and then administrators lost their jobs. So to help be the buffer between angry doctors and administrators, they created this CMIO role. That's my take of how it all began. That has morphed into the CMIO being a leader that is the one who's promoting the technology and making it better, bringing to the senior leadership, this is where we should be investing, and really being a part of that executive, senior executive team, and helping the organization drive towards its, uh, towards its mission. I, I don't know why I'm getting so many visuals, but as you talk about where the, uh, the role started and evolved, I almost imagined um, them, you know, when the Wild West was being explored, how they've shifted into really pioneering and leading these long trains of people that are going out into these new spaces. So I just get the sense that CMIOs are really a core part of pioneering who we're becoming and creating the future of healthcare. I hadn't realized where the role started, so that's really interesting. Very relationship-driven. That's interesting, too, to think about bringing together technology and relationships. Tell us a little bit about, as you reflect on your own leadership journey, what chapter has been most difficult for you and why? I bet you mine's similar to what other physicians experience is making the change from the clinician to the administrative side. When I jumped to a 50% administrative role, I was put with a dyad partner, an, an, an administrator who would be my cohort. But no one told that administrator that I was part of the dyad team. So here I am coming into meetings and right. uh-huh. suggesting things and they're going, wait, that's my space. And how to do that dance of working with administration now. It's not that the doctor is in charge and off we go. So it has to be done with a lot of thought and care and strategy and that, for me, I wasn't set up very well by the executive who put together the role, but we worked things out and we made it happen on the fly. So I think that's a challenge that most providers have is finding their, their new space. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it that succinctly. And yet, as you say that, I'm having a flash of probably 15, 20 physician leaders that would be smiling and nodding to hear you articulate it that way. I think you're spot on. So continuing down that path, I know you work with uh, CMIOs across the country and have some of your own experiences. Tell us maybe two or three of the biggest challenges that you're seeing CMIOs have today. So on my podcast, CMIO podcast, I do get to talk to lots of CMIOs and it's a lot of fun, but I do get to hear their challenges. And most of the time it's resource constraints. They want to be recognized as a valuable contributor to the organization, and they need tools to do that. And quite often, that's people. And these people don't necessarily generate revenue directly. They make it easier for others to generate revenue directly, but that's not always appreciated or recognized. So that's what they struggle with most is getting resources and getting a seat at the table where those decisions are being made. Uh, That's the challenges that most CMIOs have. 
Gosh, and as I'm listening to you, I'm almost thinking it's an invitation for other providers who um, maybe are full-time clinicians and either are getting bored or restless or want to learn something. There might be this incredible opportunity for people interested in technology or improving workflow processes to maybe build a relationship with their CMIO and see what kinds of partnerships or what kinds of ways they can collaborate uh, that maybe hasn't existed before, especially in this new environment. There's no CMIO that will turn down a doctor who's looking to help. I, <laughs> but we should also be respectful of that doctor's time. And at some point, you should pay the providers when they're contributing on a regular basis and it's showing that uh, initiative. We shouldn't take advantage. And, and we have for too long. Doctors will join committees and then they get, they don't know how to say no. So they keep getting more and more things put on them. We should value that time as an organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm imagining the win-win is if uh, physicians have a growing awareness about what some of their strengths are or some skills they want to build. So it's an energizer from the beginning. And then they can, you know, maybe dip their toe in to try it out, see what really resonates with them or, or, or gives them energy, then maybe looking for roles where they are paid to participate. Sounds like a win-win for the individual, the team, and the organization. I think it's a great call out on your part. That's good. So as I think about um, change management, you mentioned at the beginning, is a big part of a CMIO's role. I'm imagining there's a number of physicians that um, have felt discouraged over time with different kinds of technology. Yet I also know, and you know, that physicians inherently want to do a really good job for each of their patients. And I think it's been said that if you want to change a physician behavior, uh, co-create a report card with them about what the organization's expecting and then support them to be successful. If you were to design some kind of ideal report card for CMOs, maybe they co-create it with their physicians, what two or three things would you put on that report card? Physicians want to see their quality metrics. In particular, they want to see quality metrics that mean something. And that may be very different than the quality metrics that we are capable of collecting today. Our tools have some limitations. But if I could wave my magic wand and give them anything they wanted, it would be first the quality metrics that are specific to them and their practice and the way they do things. But reality is, someone else is going to have some quality metrics that they're probably going to be held accountable for and may very well tie compensation to. And those typically are government regulated metrics and they don't love them, but they have to do them. So they want to see those too, because they don't want to be ambushed by them. And then finally, I think they want to see financial performance metrics in particular, if they're in these new value-based cared shared savings models, they want to understand, they want transparency. They want to see are we saving money? Who's not? Who's my colleague that I need to go talk to if they're not playing well or going to cost the organization to miss this shared savings model? They want to see that kind of transparency. That would be the magic wand I would wave that providers would get to see. I'm sitting here smiling because it just makes it... um that whole notion of transparent just creates more alignment too, right? Between the providers and the teams and the organization. I, uh, I hope you get a magic wand sometime soon. It sounds like a really good plan. <laughs> Transparency is difficult. It's not something we always get uh, for a variety of reasons. Fear of 
showing the data, fear that uh, a doctor is going to yell because their data is not good. But every time I've seen the data become transparent, it does change behavior and the physicians do appreciate it. That's good. So good. So I'm imagining you've, in all of your change management, bumped into some scenarios where there's been maybe a lack of transparency or where technology you know, blocked the, the patient-provider uh, relationship. And so along that way, physicians might have, uh, for appropriate reasons, just been disengaged with different kinds of technology. What advice do you have for the physicians who have been frustrated or currently feel disengaged with any kind of optimization project in the hospital? So there are three or four things, Sandy, that a physician should do when they're getting strong headwinds. And number one is to look at the relationships and think about the strategy around those relationships. Because if this is all relationship driven, the resistance you're getting is because not because the other person's evil, they probably have a different agenda and they're focusing on something else and they're trying to protect their own interests. So those relationships matter. And that's typically the number one thing to unblock something is to take someone out to lunch and, and just talk it out. The next thing to do is to consider the alignment within the organization. Because I have seen, there was this neurologist who wanted an art therapy program for stroke care. And wonderful, but it just wasn't the direction that the organization wanted to spend money on. They really wanted the new cath lab thing. So understanding the alignment with the organization is important. And then the timing is the third thing. Because it could be a great idea, but if your company's going through an acquisition, everyone's going to be focusing on that, and they may not want to do your pet project right then. But finally, you should consider if consistently you're hitting headwinds and you can't get anything done, and you think you're in the right, and the timing should be there, you got to consider if the organization is the right one for you. It's a tough choice, but if your current organization doesn't respect your ideas, you might need to go find one that does. Those are all so practical, and I really appreciate you um, identifying things that someone could do next week, right? So today's Friday, but next week, if someone's feeling that headwind, that thought of like calling someone up and going to coffee, going to lunch is actually a strategy to work through that. These are really practical. Those are good ones. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So when I think about informatics, um, you know, once I got through the intimidation of what the heck is all that and how complex, and, and you actually listened to your podcast, the CMO podcast has been so informative. I appreciate the guests uh, that you talk with, the articles that you debrief. It's just really informative. I highly recommend it. And it was actually through that education that I began to connect the dots about how informatics even impact the patient experience. So if you were to imagine designing an informatics curriculum for patients, and the goal would be to educate them about sort of the behind the scenes work that your team does to improve the patient experience, what are some of the core tools you would want them to know and you would want them to be using as a way to enhance their experience? I love that question. No one has ever asked me uh, what the patient should be doing to engage. I would say (laughs) 
All right. If you're enjoying this conversation, check out part two where Sandy and Mark are talking about how COVID-19 is shaping the future of telehealth. Have a great rest of your day.